2025. I would like to call uh, to order the March 20, March 17, excuse me, 2021 Transit Advisory Board meeting. This meeting will be conducted as an electronic meeting pursuant to the continuity ordinance re-adopted by the Board of Supervisors on March 16, 2021. Uh, the following members are participating uh, remotely. Brandon White, are you participating remotely? Okay. Bruce Kowalski? Bruce Kowalski? Yep, I am. Thank you, sir. C.C. Simpson? Thanks, C.C. Charles Slides? I see uh, your name on that, Charles. Are you there? Yes, I am. Uh, let's see here. Start my video. No let's problem. See. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yeah, you can hear you well. Thank you. Yes, I'm here. Okay. Um, Hans Punia? Or Hans? Are you there, Hans? Okay. Yeah. Jackie Peel? Are you there, Jackie? I'm She's here. Not Can you hear me? Yeah. Jackie, are you calling in by phone? I am, but I actually just happened to uh, work the WebEx. My WebEx app wasn't loading, um, so I'm going to hop off the phone and go on, on through WebEx. Okay, so I have you in as uh, caller user number five. I, I can't make you a panelist. Um, but we have you in here. Okay, I'll be joining the panel soon. Okay, great. And Joe Ritchie said he couldn't join today um, because he was uh, traveling, I believe, out of the country. Um, John S. Henkel. I'm here, yes. Thanks, John. Um, Cleo said she wouldn't be able to join this evening. Maggie Parker. Yes, I am here. Thank you, Maggie. You're welcome. Lauren Frost. Present and accounted for. Thank you. Marty, morning this. I don't see him on the list. Yeah, I don't think he joined us. Uh, he didn't say he was not going to join us. I am here, Ron. I'm here in person as well. Uh, Rushi Shah. I'm present. Thank you. Like a background. Vlad <laughs> Optimi Co. Present. Thank you. All right. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten accounted for. All right. Um, so the resolution is called conduct the time meeting. Uh, member and guest introduction. We don't have any new members today. Um, looks like we have um, the members from the prior meeting. Um, any guests? Um, I don't see any guests. Penny, Penny is joined. Penny Newquist is here, uh, and she joined us. Penny, um, do you want? Well, I, I just want to say I've been on the calls before, but when I was at home, it didn't work. So I said that I need to be on site for the meetings, and, and I'm glad that we have a chance. Sure. Thanks, Penny. So, 
Vinny's here with us today. Um, and uh, public comment, uh, Sarah was saying earlier somebody had um, signed up to participate remotely uh, from the public. But, uh, yes, I don't see them logged in yet. Okay. Okay, go leave us if, if somebody joins at a later time. Um, so, having said that, uh, so business matters. Um, the metro, the first one being the metro grant opening for the Silver Line. You know, originally we had it discussed in January, then we had sort of a, in a share of the conversation, I should say, for it's reserved for March, um, which is now. And, uh, you know, I, I understand this is now, uh, you know, from the, uh, you know, the ha handover from the, uh, to the metro operations is being pushed out to early 
puts out to the public that they plan on having substantial completion done by the Labor Day weekend, which is September 6th, that Monday is a Labor Day, and MWA needs about 150 days or five months to do their testing of all systems to ensure that everything is revenue service ready. With that kind of projection, that puts us into January or February, roughly. And I don't know if MWA or WMATA has any way to accelerate anything that they do, but right now, the discussion with the WMATA board is a January, February start for revenue service. Thank you, I got that. I appreciate it very much. Sure, sure. Any other questions from our TAB membership before we move on to uh, the next item? Uh, just if I could add one thing, Ram, please. It's Maggie. Yeah. Sure. Uh, just a quick statement about uh, what happened with phase one, the training uh, of all of the police, fire and safety, rescue folks takes part of that uh, training time period. Um, they were able to shorten it for the delivery of phase one, but that was opening midsummer. Um, it's highly unlikely that they would ever open this in uh, the end of November, beginning of December, because that's the, um, as, as you guys well know, the lowest ridership time. So anyway, what we, uh, we are hearing also uh, January and February, that's all. Thank you. All right. Is there any? Any other comments? I'm going to move on to the next item, Dallas Mall Hub. So this came up uh, in a variety of conversations um, with uh, supervisors and also just in general. You know what's going to what's going to be the next big thing that's coming to Dallas Mall. Um, and I think uh, supervisors have had this conversation a little bit, not not from a business uh, uh, standpoint, but I think they have. Uh, Sort of discussed it, I should say. Uh, so the feasibility of using the Dallas Mall as a hub for, you know, intercity buses. But having said that, they haven't had the conversation necessarily for bus routes. They have had the conversation around having Dallas Mall uh, as a place where people could just drive their cars, uh, park there, and ride a bike uh, to or, or bike to work sort of yeah. thing. So I think they have discussed that. I think I heard in one of the board of supervisors meetings. So, uh, so this item is just uh, is stuck up here to see, uh, you know, what the tab membership thoughts uh, around uh, around uh, the, uh, the thinking of uh, using, proposing to use, you know, the less small repurpose that potentially, um, you know, in addition to, you know, a, a million uh, other things as a hub for, you know, any bus routes, intercity bus routes. What's the what's the thought? Yay, nay, you know, or, uh, you know, any, any, any additional comments on that? Anybody have any thoughts or comments? Can I jump in here? Yes, yeah, sure. So, I'm a little, um, maybe just need a little more clarification on what it is that TAB is thinking, because the Dallas Town Center is already a hub for the local fixed route services. And there's already a park and ride lot, 200 space park and ride lot that connects, you know, that obviously provides service to the metro rail stations. So I'm not re 
really sure what it is that TAB is looking for different than that. Um, so if, if, if that conversation has come up, if it's different from that, then, um, you know, please let us know so we can obviously look into considering that into the future. Uh, Vlad, uh, do you want to add um, comments on that from um, in our conversation that we had with Marty and uh, Jackie um, while we discussed this? Hey, Ron, um, before we move to that, um, who just made that comment? I couldn't tell uh, who was speaking. Uh, Scott, Scott. That was Scott. Sorry, Mark. I should oh. introduce myself. Oh, uh, no problem. Everybody has masks on, so I couldn't see lips moving. <laughs> right. Yeah, thanks, Ram. So we met with Marty and Jackie thinking about a bus to Harper's Ferry. Sorry, not Harper's Ferry, but um, Mark train at um, just the border of Maryland and Virginia, right? Up Route 15. And um, Point we, of Rocks. Yeah, Point of Rocks. And that didn't really go far. But in that conversation, we started thinking about, okay, so which other points we could connect to? And we also spent some time talking about intercity buses. Kind of like go between DC and New York and uh, some other places. And um, I was looking at the companies that provide this service and found that there is a bus that goes from Prince William County, a some mall similar to Dallas Town Center, to New York. And apparently, um, even though Prince William County isn't really dense, apparently that is sufficient to support demand for for an intercity bus. So then we thought, okay, um, would it be helpful for, for residents of Loudoun County to have an intercity bus? And if so, then where from could it go? Uh, we consider it uh, Dallas Airport, um, Apparently that's not a good idea because it competes, you know, with planes and they don't want that. Um, and then the next idea was, yeah, maybe it could, it could go from Dallas Mall. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's where it, it was coming from. So it, uh, yes, Scott, uh, yeah, there are buses to Metro and local buses, but this is kind of different. It's to other cities. Okay. Gotcha. So you're looking to travel outside of the state, essentially. You're looking for, uh, like, there's New York. What's the name of that bus? A mega bus that goes from Arlington to New York City and those kind of buses, which is yeah, really correct. outside of our purview, right? Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know, like, what's within or, or what's without, but yes, that's there's a number of companies and. No. Uh, so it's not it's not necessarily just out of state. Um, Scott, not just New York City, but also to Richmond and also Vlad, uh, if you recall, we had conversations around, you know, the buses to college towns, say Harrisonburg, JMU, um, for that matter, even could, it could be within Virginia. So it seems like those are charter buses. If, you don't, if I may, it seems like you barely have two parties you'd have to work with. One would, could potentially be the county with the park and ride lot being there. The other would be obviously the mall owners, learners, or I don't know if they recently sold it, but between the two, um, that's who you'd have to work with. 
Yeah, I, I, unless this board changes directions, I, it, I've never, we've never really had support for a charter bus system um, to go outside of the area. Um, so, for example, we get calls, you know, pre-pandemic every football season, hey, can you guys run a bus to the Washington football team's stadium? And it's like, no, we don't do that. Um, so I, I guess it's a possibility for some of those things. Um, and then I, I think some of that gets into, you know, where you're crossing the line of public transportation versus, you know, for-profit chartering. Um, so we just need to make sure that we're clear on where that line stands. So, I mean, it's something I guess we could certainly consider it. Um, I just don't know how you would I'm pretty sure that this board wouldn't support going to Harrisonburg or JMU or any of those places if it was not if it was going to have to subsidize it. Right, and a lot of college uh, colleges and universities have shuttles, I thought, to and from their campuses. Yeah, they do around the areas. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, when my daughter was at VCU, she could get a shuttle from Richmond to Northern Virginia. I'm not familiar with how it works right now, but I mean, there are private, private, private buses and charters. Um, so we talk about, um, you know, kids that are able to go to Black Blacksburg, uh -huh. you know, uh, through some of those charters, but not necessarily. So to Scott's point, you know, there's this line, fine line, you know, between public and you know, for-profit yeah. transportation. So, um, you know, that's something that came up from um, our discussion that we had around the point of rocks that we discussed the last time, 1215 going up. So. Uh, any other comments on the topic? No, I would Before just like to tell, it's Maggie Parker. I would just like to tell Vlad that it is a great idea because the Dulles Town Center has been sold and it does have a couple thousand parking spaces. But I, I, from my perspective, there could be great use going to New York City and to other places um, via one of the one of the vamoose or whatever it is. Um, and the reason they operate out of Bethesda and Roslyn is because on the weekends, those public garages are empty. So uh, it would make great sense to see if the owners of Dulles Town Center would let you have, a, you know, 100 parking spaces. But it isn't, I don't, I see it as being a private conversation. But anyway, I like the thought. Thank you. Thanks, Maggie. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, again, yeah, it, it kind of, the ideas appeared um, as a side conversation, but then it caught traction between a couple of us. And so we thought that we would uh, bring it up here. Thank you. Uh, thanks, Vlad. Appreciate it. Um, if you don't have any other comments on that topic, um, do you have any comments for that? Final comments before we move on? Uh, no, I think I stated the case right. as much as I could. So, thank you. Um, so we, let's move on to the uh, next topic, which is going to be a few more, few minutes, a few longer minutes. Um, the Clean Energy Transit Vehicles Initiative. Um, 
that Rushi um, um, and I we participated in a, in a information sharing from um, Momentum Dynamics a week um, ten days ago, um, uh, and uh, they had uh, done route, routing for seven to seventy-seven on seven and also some of their financial, um, how they go about the financial information that I believe um, was sent as separate PDF attachments to the meeting. Um, so, Rushi, if you want to add uh, more um, to um, our conversation with Momentum Dynamics folks, uh, Momentum Dynamics folks, uh, Bob and uh, Ryan, uh, that'll be great. Yeah, so thank you. Thank you, Rob. Uh, that is, yeah, everything, um, you said is uh, is correct, and one of the, the things I like about momentum is that one of the biggest issues we have when we talk about green energy is is being able to when you have a fleet not having to be able to have enough energy transferred in the bus so to keep it operating throughout the day and do it in an efficient manner such that you don't have to take it out of service to charge it. That's what what's kind of what makes gasoline and diesel so uh, attractive is that it has an energy dense it has energy density to it, and you can quickly fill up a tank in a matter of minutes rather than uh, you know charge it for eight hours. So that's kind of what always kind of what makes the the uh, the fossil fuel bus so appealing. Um, that being said, what you know, if we want to get green or greener, what we want to be able to do is get off of the fossil fuels and get, and get into more electrification of buses. And but at the same time, we still have the operational matters of how do we keep a bus going and not have to take it out of service while we charge it because charging at this moment it can take a little bit of time, especially charging to full. So. Uh, all of you should have received a PowerPoint, but if 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 I'm allowed, I'll be happy to share my screen and I can walk through what momentum has uh, has uh, has proposed. Uh, you'll see that. Uh, but if you don't, if you want to walk with me, um, slide 11 of the uh, Loudoun County route modeling PDF is the document that I'm on. So I'll get to give you guys. Be able to share. Uh, let me see. I'm sure that there is a feature. Let me see if I can find it. When was it sent? Um, was it Sarah sent to everybody? Um, last week's email. March, March 7th at 8.43 p.m. You said March 11th? 7. 7. Oh, 10 days seven. ago. Okay. Oh. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah, uh, thank you. So I will share my screen so everyone can see what I'm talking about. Of course, I'm going to lose you guys. Um, I'm not going to be able to see you because I have, unfortunately I use WebEx all the freaking time. Um, so what this is, what you're seeing here is, uh, first of all, uh, electricity, electric battery buses have uh, are ha are impacted by weather. So if it's uh, 20 degrees outside, you're going to have less capability, less operational time than you are if it's in a 70 degree day. So I just wanted to show you that. What this is is it, we have a uh, have a um, we have taken the seven on seven route, 
and we have basically modeled it as to how we could how we could use this seven on seven route and be able to utilize momentum's uh, potential uh, solution. And the and so what they've done is they've said, okay, let's do a baseline. The baseline is okay. I got a plug in a plug in bus. What do I do? I can start at six forty five, but at um, approximately eleven fifty three, if it's twenty degrees, or you know maybe at two o'clock if it's seventy degrees, I'm going to have to pull the bus back into the depot in order to make sure that I get charged again. What this does, it pulls this bus out of service at that time. Obviously, we, we want to keep operating during those hours, so we would have to have another bus to basically run that service. That's in a, that's in a regular plug-in scenario. What, what um, <clears throat> sorry, I don't know if you can see this. Let me just get rid of that. Uh, what the momentum solution does is it basically takes uh takes uh, basically I'll, I'll use this one right here because it's a 20 minute one but we basically charge with 300 kilowatt they have two 300 kilowatt pads and the, if you remember from the from last from two months ago basically it's these are smooth pads they're drive you can drive over them you can walk over them you can do all sorts of things over them normally but when the bus comes over it it makes a connection with the charging unit and we've talked about how how it does that and how they does the authorization not everybody can do that but what happens is is that the bus then then charges up and then comes down for the next until it gets to the next point so like you could have it at two endpoints for example and these these would be charging throughout so now you're giving it a little bit of more juice every every time you sit there on the charger and now all of a sudden by the end of the day obviously you would go back to at so the end of the route to say at, this is approximately 10 o'clock at night we're done and you don't have to uh you don't have to replace the bus it is fully charged throughout the day it's charged enough for the day for whether it's heating air conditioning driving all of that is all that is going to be there uh this would basically require to have two pads one you know depending on how we want it on either end of the unit of the um of the route and it would allow for the buses to maintain their charges throughout. Uh, also, what's kind of nice about it is and you may have seen an email from me earlier that the bus does not that is not the only potential charging method for the bus. For example, if the bus is then re reused for something may that may not be on that route that, that has the charging capabilities we could use a, use a regular nozzle to plug it in to charge it. So it's not just beholden to a single energy source. But the value of this is that you can maintain one bus instead of two or potentially three uh, as an operation and you don't have to charge it. And you could take into account, you know, maybe longer charge times if, if, a, if there's an operator shift or a um, break or something like that. So that's basically what this model shows, and that's a, that's at the high level. So I'll um, I'll uh, I'll stop sharing now, unless anyone wants me to explain something else. And if there's any questions, I'll be happy to take them. So am I am I reading that right, Rushi? That it said it had to sit there for 20 minutes. 
No, it doesn't have to sit there for 20 minutes. These are just models. There's if you go to if you go to the page above it, uh, 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 Scott, sorry, it has 10 minutes too as uh, throughout the day as well. Right. And when I say so, 10 minutes, I mean 10 minutes at a hub, not every stop. It's not every stop. It's just like, say, for example, if, if say the government center is a hub or like we just talked about Dulles Town Center as, as a hub, you know, pick one. And that might be wherever you find it that these buses may stay a little bit longer. That could be the place where you put this charging unit. So, okay, so good. I say, are they looking for, are they modeling that it's 20 minutes or 10 minutes, depending on the temperature, throughout the course of the day or 10 or 20 minutes at the end of each run? Basically at the end of each run. So every spike that you see, then I'll start, I'll start sharing again. Give me a moment, please. Um, but basically what you see here, oh, I'm sorry. I hit that button again. Uh, what you see, uh, Scott, is that every one of these is a charging unit. So you look at it, it's about every three hours or so. So, and this, this is kind of, if it does it at 10 minutes, you'll have what they've, what they've also recommended that the, the battery is happiest between 20 and 80% capacity. 20, you don't want to go below it because you, it's, it's a reserve. You don't want to get too far below that because then you could end up running out of fuel. Uh, 80%, you, you, could, you could violate that. That's not that big of a deal, but obviously you don't want to go below 20% for operational uh, safety. But every one of these, you know, trips, as they say, you know, three trips, you can do it, you know, when they say a trip, by the way, they're, you know, I think this could be, um, if two trips is, just looking at it here, it's somewhere around two hours, an hour trip. So I don't know, I, I can't remember if the, it's up here in the upper, but I think about, it takes about an hour to go from point to point, from the front, from Leesburg to Sterling and back. And then, and, and that's one hour and then back, right? Is that correct? Uh, I, th I think I think it's an hour one way. Yeah. Yes, I'm saying one way, one hour. Yeah. So Not, what they're saying. Yeah, so it's an hour. Yeah, it's an hour from Leesburg to Sterling. Right. So what they're saying is that okay, the bus here it leaves say Leesburg at six forty-five, and at seven forty-five, where it's wherever the depot is at Sterling, it's sitting there for ten minutes. And, and getting a little bump up charge. And then, then what it's saying, hey, you know, we don't need, you don't need to charge every time, but you know, at the end of trip three, so you've got, you've now, um, now you're in Sterling, you come back to Leesburg and now you're back in Sterling, you can take another bump up at that point. So I, I assume that this uh, data has what kind of batteries they were using and how long they were good for and that, yes. that's, these are a lot of the questions we have going into the electric world is, so, you know, how long, how long are actually these batteries going to last? Yeah. You know, and, and then what is the, you know, what is the much like a laptop battery or anything else, right? We've learned over history that leaving them plugged in doesn't help them. If you don't nope. run them to a certain level low, it doesn't help them. If you don't charge them to a certain level high, it doesn't help them. These are all questions that we're trying to kind of work through right now. Right. In fact, um, candidly, this what this is is more of how to charge them, not necessarily the battery themselves. Right. 
So, so right. like if we if we decided to have a standardized battery solution across Loudon, this is just a way, an opportunity to to operationalize them and charge them in such a way that we don't need to have more buses to compensate for the fact that we don't have a few we don't want, we can't rapidly charge them. Batteries today still can't be charged at a at, at like a gas station. I go to my gas station. I'm out of there in five minutes if I get to the pump real quick. You know, I'm out of there in five minutes, fully charged. I can drive 300 miles, but I can't. I can't be out of there in five minutes with a with an electric charger. It's just not possible. So what what they're doing is they're saying we have a solution here to to keep your keep the single bus running instead of having to do two buses because you know the bus is going to run out of power halfway through because we know that we're going to go ahead and give you a way to charge this intermittently. And without having to put a plug in, so you basically just roll right over. The, the uh, passengers get on and off as normal, and as we're at, and you're sitting there charging without a single operator interaction. No, I, I listen. I hear you. I, I I think the idea is awesome. I just have a lot of questions and a lot of data that I'd have to that we need to work through. We're, we're new to the electric world or going to be new to the electric world next year if everything goes right. So it, it's a matter of really trying to make sure that we understand how the electric buses work, how the, how the batteries are working, you know, what routes we can run them on and not run them down, um, all that kind of good stuff. And then, you know, and then, and then I think after we get through that piece, then, then maybe we can jump to this next level of, of putting these pads out there because we really need to gain, we, we are in the infant stage of this, and we really need to gain an understanding of how the electric buses are going to function in Loudoun County and get a good grip on that. Um, it's definitely the direction we want to go in, or at least it seems to be the direction we're heading in. Um, but again, I, I have a lot of questions like, you know, what's our battery, you know, what's the length of the battery's life on that bus? If it's a 12-year bus, are we replacing batteries every two years? Are we replacing them every four years? If we don't charge them properly, are we changing the life of them? Um, so there's just a lot of things that we're really, that, that's kind of what our pilot is to try to start to work through if we can get these buses next year. Um, 100%. And then I think, yeah, go ahead, bud. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Scott. No, 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 you're good. You're good. Okay. Go ahead. So 100% agree with you. Obviously, this, this, what I'm trying to do, though, is to what is a known issue out in the industry is charging buses during operational hours and, and, and doing, so without, doing so without taking the buses out of service. So I'm trying to get ahead of that. It doesn't preclude any of your questions that you've asked and, and the knowledge that we're going to have to gain. But I will say this is that um, uh, if I haven't already done it or Ram already hasn't done it, one of us will go ahead and send you the the, uh, the chief marketing officer for Momentum. He can answer a lot of questions for you. He's offered that. Uh, so I'm going to, we're going to send that over uh, today or tomorrow, uh, depending on how much time I've got. But uh, I'll send that over to you. But it should be actually in the bottom here. Now I'm thinking about it. But uh, he's I'm the one. Yeah. I'm sure I have his information, so that's fine. Yeah. So my point is, is that this is this is talking about a specific operational issue and how to resolve that. It doesn't. You, you you're 100 percent correct. How do the batteries 
but he actually has a lot of experience in that. He's worked with several, uh, like he bring, keeps bringing up um, a place in Indiana. I forgot the place in Indiana, but uh, and one in, and uh, one in Wisconsin, I think. Um, so they've got some good case studies that you'll be able to get pick his brain on and get 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 some. You know, obviously, we what, what we have, we our climate, our roads, they're a little bit different. You know, for example, um, they didn't got. I, I, we chose uh, the Route 70 because it's basic. For all intents and purposes, is flat. I am not talking about under 28 and up and down under 28 and seven, right? But basically, it's as flat as they come. But as there are different places that we can go that may have more hills, and so you have topography, and that that will take. You know, if it's as we go as we go up, you're going to burn more uh, fuel or right? more energy. So, so, um, and then of course he, he will be able to help you with also the fact you know that it, they don't also in this model look into like okay, when you when you break you are recharging the battery a little bit. So there's all some of that stuff was not fully uh, brought into the model, but uh, like I said, this was more just to talk about okay, you know one of the biggest operational hurdles is keeping. A single bus operational throughout the day without without detailing. Yeah, I understand. I, I understand. I, I think it's a great thing to look into. I think we need to look into it. Um, yeah, I, I got a lot of questions swirling around in my head too. You know, I mean, the the first thing, just so you know how my brain thinks, is is there's the there's the ecological side of this where we're trying to be environmentally smart and safe and and be better um, and then there's the customer service side of this and so for example if I take if I just look at the customer service side if I take the route 70 and I have four buses running and I'm adding 10 minutes to every third trip on that bus I'm losing I don't know what the math is, but I'm probably losing four trips a day at, by the end of the day um, because of each bus. You know, you figure 10, 10 minutes, right? You only need six times and you're losing an hour. Yeah, so that's well, basically 12 trips in the day. Remember, that's, that's, yeah. that's 10 minutes, Scott. That's 10 minutes per that trip. So, for example, if that bus goes to over, that's over two slots, like Leesburg and and uh, Sterling slots, and then sitting there for two minutes on each trip, you know, yes, it's it's got a two or three minute bump every t every time it sits there, however, however long it sits there, but it's, it's bumping up. So you know, it's it's not a, it has to sit there for ten minutes. It can sit there for two minutes, and it doesn't. What we're saying is that okay, it doesn't need to doesn't need to, for in the two in between trips, you don't have to charge. But if it's already going over that pad anyway, let it charge. Right, so so it could aggregate to a little, you know. So instead of getting a seven or eight percent increase in your battery, you might get a four percent increase in your battery. But since you brought that over every trip, you're fine. You see what I'm saying? No, I, I hear you. I, I just got to see the data. I'm a, I'm kind of a show me guy because, like I said, the 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 biggest concern that I would have, and that would be, you know, this guy is selling the equipment to do that, which I get. But there is also a direct connection and correlation with, with there has to be with what type of batteries are being used, how they're being maintained, uh, how yep. all that plays into this. So it, it's, you know, I'm sure that there's optimal everything, right? Well, this charger with this particular battery works best, 
right? Well, and, and they might find they might find that out too. So no, I yeah. love the idea. It's just you know for me it's just a matter of it's it, I don't think it's just cut and dry of ordering electric buses and then saying we're going to go get these pads right away and we're going to do this. I think like I said for me we got to get we got to gain an understanding of how those buses are going to operate in our areas first and then we can come back around to getting the you know a little better solution on how to get them um charged up along the way but i love the idea of it so that one second let me just make one statement i absolutely agree with you scott and this is just what i didn't want is to is the green green um initiative to be derailed because of this low-hanging obvious issue of you know, potentially having to depot a bus. That was kind of where I wanted to get this. This is literally just a, a suggestion and something that we want to pass over to you guys and to the board, but to say that there are options and opportunities out there that we haven't necessarily thought about traditionally that could solve a lot of these problems. So, Vlad, I'm sorry, yeah. go ahead. Yeah, great. Yeah, uh, thanks. And um, so, I have been driven electric cars for eight years, which is not the same as a bus, right? Like they don't run continuously, but it's a minor interest of, of mine, right? And um, what Momentum is selling is not the ability to charge during the day. We don't need Momentum for that. What they're really selling is the ability to charge without involving an operator. The, this whole graph that they plotted, right? It can be done without these pads. Only at, at the same place where Momentum would install the pad, there would be a regular charging station, which would be much, much cheaper than, than the pad and also doesn't require a complex installation of you know, equipment under the pavement. And so, but an operator would have, would have to be trained, right. right? Like on each round, it would have to exit the bus, grab a device that's similar to the gas station nozzle and plug into a bus. Yes. Right. So this is what we're paying extra. We're paying extra <clears throat> for not having to do that. Well, I mean, no. I don't know if it's paying extra. We haven't like that's part of the. Uh, you do have a you do have a physical plant cost, and yes, you do, that physical plant is probably going to cost more than a regular charging station. You know, two hundred forty uh, volt charging stations. So I'll probably that's probably true, but um, you're right. the The question is, what's the all in cost for an operator to or someone to an attendant to be there while that bus is charging? Um, you know. Scott, one of the biggest things that you brought up was I, I, I've lost four trips just because I have to not sit here for an extra few minutes. You know, if and that will obviously exponentially increase if someone has to physically plug in and you have to wait till it gets to a certain point, you know, whereas you can just roll up, charge, roll out. And but that it all comes with a cost. So I agree with what you're saying. It's just where are the costs going to come? You know, come? Right. But also to, to Scott's point, right? Um, if we have a pilot, it makes sense to invest maybe a little less than a little more. And so like, if we get hooked on electric buses and if we have 20 of them, right, then it probably makes sense to invest in 
pads and everything. But before that, um, like, I, it's, it's, it is a serious investment beyond buses, right? Like, it's, I cannot imagine it being cheap. So one of the things, that's a great point, Vlad. I mean, that's why I brought up the, the fact that you could have a plug-in, but you could, you know, you could theoretically retrofit these buses to, to capacitive charging as well. So, for example, if we bought a bunch of plug-in buses and then decided that you know, operationally we wanted to do something like this, like this solution, we could theoretically retrofit the buses because to have because you'd have multiple ways to charge it. So I think that that's an excellent point. We don't have to jump in. Again, I'm not I'm not advocating for us to dive into the deep end. Uh, I'm just saying that this is just something to consider. And and, and when we're when we're trying to uh, put all the pieces on the chessboard, that's literally all I'm saying. Not saying that we need to go down this road. I'm just. Yeah, yeah I hope you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, no, no. Hey, listen, I'm, I, I think you're both spot on, guys. But I, I, you did just say something that I just want to make sure that that we're clear on, and that is, I'm pretty sure, 99% sure, you have to retrofit every bus. There is no. I, I'm pretty sure you can't get this out of the gate, out of the manufacturing plant. The bus would be built. You'd send it to somewhere to get retrofitted with this pad product. Uh, um, no, uh, actually, you can. You can. Um, the, the gentleman uh, Bob will, can give us more direction, but it can come directly out of the gate with this capability. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll talk with. So I'll talk with our bus manufacturers and ask them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Because they're the ones building the electric buses and MCIs and new flyers and Gillig's and um, I've got connections with all of them, so we we can certainly ask them and see where this goes. Listen, I, I think I don't want to belabor this point. I think it's a good idea. I think we need to look into it. Um, I just want to caution everybody that, you know, we're learning to crawl right now. So we just, I just want to make sure I'm managing everybody's expectations. Now, if you did go this route, are there federal and state funds that would be uh, put into this to cover the cost? There, there, are, there, are, there are grants out there. They don't cover all of the costs. Um, but we are working through that process right now as well. Uh, yeah. So there's, and I, I know that uh, you know, obviously the company is try, would offer to their their uh, services to get them to if we decide to go with their route. But again, I'm not really. Momentum is the one I know of. It doesn't mean that I'm advocating the company itself. I'm just what I'm really trying to get to is ensuring that yeah. we have the most cost effective solution for our green fleet and that we don't derail it because of certain operational issues such as I can't I have to depot my bus and I have to buy another bus while that thing is being depoted and charged. Hey, this is Mark Farage. I just wanted to ask you a quick question uh, and maybe this predates my time on the board. How did um, how did this uh, all this discussion in regards to momentum dynamics come about? Did they just know that we were involved from an electrical perspective and approached us, or how did that work? Just the, from the background perspective. Bluntly, it is because uh, one of my uh, colleagues, former colleagues, moved over to this company a few years ago, and uh, I was interested while while I was still I'm was still on the tab at the time, so I could been keeping. Um, yeah, I don't want to use this pun, but I'm going to intend this pun because I have to own my puns. I kept tabs on it, um, so um, so. So that's why when when um, Supervisor Turner and I talked and Ron was there as well, 
and he wanted to, he told me about his green initiative i reached out to momentum because i knew of them again that's the only reason that and, and that's full disclosure thanks i was just curious how the relationship developed i didn't know if they were actively going out and marketing to uh counties and uh you know, they might, they operators etc they might be, but in this particular case, uh, I reached out to that. Um, also, if I may, um, another comment. I, I heard um, Scott re refer to uh, bus manufacturers that uh, the county is working with now. And I understand that in this space, there is a number of companies that like specialize in electric buses and um, maybe they are worth uh, looking into also because it's kind of like just, just like in regular cars, right? Like Tesla never built cars, but now they built electric cars. So there's a number of companies that never built buses, but started building electric buses and they seem to be um, catching quite attraction. Um, this is Mark Farage. I was just going to add a point here that we may want to just consider. Um, and Scott, I'm not sure. Uh, if you guys have done this, but um, one of my previous employers, FedEx, has dived into pretty heavily into the electric um, courier van vehicle um, environment. And while they're not obviously not a transit company, they do obviously run a lot of routes. Um, I could certainly um, reach out to um, some of my former colleagues at FedEx and just see get some feedback. Um, I'm sure this would be something that they maybe had looked at um, from a, a route structuring perspective or a charging perspective, because again, they're faced with the same issues I would imagine of, of keeping as many vans on road uh, for extended routes, et cetera. So it may be interesting just as a data point to see what they've done or what experiences they've had that may be able to help us avoid any um, footfalls as we move that, uh, forward on this uh, electrification pathway. I think that's a fantastic idea, Mark. Any any place where we can not reinvent the wheel and learn from other folks of what they've already been through is a, is is an excellent place to go. Okay, um, I don't have any unless there's other questions. I I'd like to turn the uh, floor back to over to Chairman Rom. Are there any other uh, questions or comments? I have a couple of. Um, things to add um, and ask, I should say. Um, are there any other questions or comments on this topic from TAB membership? Okay, so how does this, um, um, you know, um, Penny and Scott, maybe you guys may be able to, from a you know, county government perspective, I know that they put out a new um, environmental commission. Uh, is that right? Uh, Rishi, am I saying that name right? Environmental um, Commission, right? Uh, From, there's, a new, um, there's a new advisory type advisory board that I, I noticed in Supervisor Turner's email in the last couple of weeks uh, that that uh, I know they're recruiting for, and that this sort of stuff would kind of fall under that that advisory board. Yes. So my question is, how does how would uh, this initiative? Roll up to the. I think they, there the focus of that is um, you know green initiatives across, not just transit, but you know plastic bags for for an example, uh, uh, you know across the county. Um, um, so how is this going to 
play out in the longer run is what my question was. I'm not familiar with that group, but okay. it sounds as though, I mean, if there's an idea that is moving, you know, coming up from the to, to the surface uh, through TAB, um, I would think we would want to kick it over to them to take a look at it as well. I mean, there's a committee, as Rushi just mentioned, they're currently in the process of recruiting. Yeah, if you go to Loudon.gov, you'll find it under Environmental Commission. So. Yeah, I, I think the, multi, the environmental initiatives that the county has taken on is really very, it's multifaceted, right? It's going from all different directions. It's, it's, you're looking at vehicles, you're looking at houses, you're looking at, you know, how we Solar, process grass, you're looking at everything, right? Yep. yep. So it, it's, um, I, I think there are numerous departments involved in it. Um, so, for example, I know that really with the bus pieces of it, it was um, our general services is really the one that's kind of spearheaded that. They met with the board on their own, you know, a cleaner fleet, and that included the buses. And, and they're, you know, we, we had had this discussion before they went to the board of buying these pilot buses and, and going into a, a cleaner fuel vehicle. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm sure that, um, you know, we will make sure that we're collaborating or at very least communicating with these groups so they understand what we're doing too uh, moving forward. And because uh, obviously we work very closely with fleet, so there's no reason for, you know, fleet and us to not be sharing information. So it's, uh, okay. I, I okay, yeah. just wanted to put it out there. Um, so we are aware in the uh, interest of, um, you know, learning from different places. So th this might be a place where we can bounce things off mm -hmm. if you have some um, expertise uh, from folks in there. Yeah. Um, the other, second thing, Scott, is, um, you know, you, you mentioned, you mentioned pilot in there, and I know that um, uh, there's a timeline in terms of uh, the funding um, to John Henkel's question, if you're expecting anything from state, federal, um, do you want to touch a little bit for us in terms of um, the process uh, for the pilot funding, yeah, pro uh, pro the timeline for the, you know, so, not just to secure the funding, but also, uh, you know, um, you know, let's, uh, you know, uh, uh, let's assume that we, we get the funding granted um, for the pilot and what happens after that. So leading up to the fund funding um, um, and then post funding. Yeah. So we. Every bus that we purchase right now is is grant funded or we try to make it grant funded. Um, so the grant funding, the grants that we process are state grants, the Department of Rail and Public Transportation. Those grants are submitted the first week of February. They're typically awarded sometime in the May, June timeframe. And usually by the middle of August, we have our agreements in place. Um, we cannot purchase or even order any equipment until those agreements are signed off on to make sure we've got that money. Um, and then from there, depending on what bus we buy, you're looking at probably 15 to 18 months before that bus actually arrives on site. So if, if everything goes right, perfectly, right, let's just say we get lucky and we get a spot because we're not ordering a ton of buses, we're, we're looking at ordering six. Let's say we get lucky and we get a spot. We might, if everything goes right, the grant funding comes through, 
we get the grants approved, we get them all signed off on, we get the bus orders ready to go, and we'll be doing a lot of this concurrently, right? Like we would be putting the order together ahead of time so that we, as soon as we got the grant funding and everything signed, we could literally go, okay, order the buses the next day. So we'll be doing some things concurrently, but at, at best, we would be lucky to see those buses probably by August, I would say August or September at the earliest of 22, which would be FY23. Um, and then obviously, as soon as we get the okay on the grant funding, um, we obviously have to start looking into from the electric side, uh, getting infrastructure in place at the yard to be able to handle charging the buses up at night. Um, and then obviously making some strategic decisions as to where we want to operate those buses um, and, and then kind of go from there. So that's the time frame at best we're looking at. Um, and oh, by the way, the six buses we're ordering, we're looking at are, we're, are probably going to be three electric and three compressed natural gas. So we're looking at two different types of clean fuel buses. So we want to try out what, what could work best for Loudoun. Well, we want to, again, we're new into this world, and there's been, you know, the, part of the problem that you struggle with when you're starting to really analyze buses and do analysis on, on strategies and that kind of thing is um, if the company that bought the buses or companies that bought the buses before did not maintain them very well, then you don't get a really good accurate picture of how they work and how what the costs are to run them and operate them. Um, if you get companies that do do very well at that, you get a better picture of that. Um, and, and so we've, you know, we've talked to several entities over the you know past six months or a year and and we're kind of learning that right some of them didn't do a really good job and some of them have and um, some of them you know and it's also very opinionated people some people will say we really like compression after gas it's it's quicker it's cleaner we like it we enjoy it uh, you know we have less problems um, you know one of the things so for example the electric buses and electric vehicles are so new you really don't know what that does to an engine, right? You don't know if it runs hotter and heat kills an engine. So, you know, instead of replacing an engine every six years, you might be replacing it every four. It's just that's the kind of thing we're trying to wade through right now and, and, and kind of figure out because everything comes with a price. You know, and unfortunately what I have found in my lifetime is the cleaner it is, the more expensive it costs to maintain it. So that's what we have to figure out too, budget-wise, right? What is, as we increase the fleet and as we get cleaner vehicles, you know, how do we have to adjust our budget to make sure that we've, we're covering for that? Um, so these are all questions and which hence the pilot, right? It's everything we're trying to kind of work through in the first couple of years to figure that out. And Parks is already apparently, I think they're actually running some buses. They're doing a pilot as well. But Scott's right, we've got to get more familiar with the ups and downs and challenges of electric vehicles. And of course, it seems the world's going electric all of a sudden. I mean, looking at the legislation from the General Assembly, it's EV this, EV that type of thing, uh, which is fine. I think that's, that's good. But like Scott said earlier, we're, we're learning how to crawl here with this process. Mm -hmm. And uh, we want to be good stewards of the taxpayer's dollars 
but we don't want to be left behind with the opportunity with electric vehicles at the same time because uh, it may be the wave of the future, but the technology keeps moving and we're, it's like anything new, whether it's software or a vehicle, I don't want to be on the cutting edge because you're probably on the bleeding edge, but let's get on the on with the program too at the same time. Right. So, behind. Yeah, and just to give everybody an idea of just cost, just vehicle cost, um, a standard transit bus probably right now is running us a diesel bus is about five hundred thousand dollars. A standard that exact same bus to make it an electric bus battery puts it, at, it all in with the charging station and everything else is about $1.1 million. That's the difference in cost in the bus. So, um, you know, obviously we have to factor in, and when we say there's grant funding, I want to make sure that everybody's clear. The state's not paying 100% of that money. The federal government's not paying 100% of that money. They're paying a portion of that money. Um, you know, right now the state's paying 68%. That we don't know how long that will stay in place. That's a, a, a every year they look at the budget, they balance their budgets, and then that kind of determines what that rate is. It's been very steady for the last eight or nine years, but given the pandemic and everything else, I, we don't know where that's going to go. And um, you know, we we've heard discussions that that may change, but we don't know. Uh, on the federal side of it, there's a whole lot of regulations that come with that dollars, and you don't get the same dollars either. A lot of those, a lot of those uh, grants are 50/50 grants. So um, where we're used to having to pay out of pocket in the in the county of, for example, if we replace a diesel bus, it's $500,000. We're really only having to pay 32% of that because of the state grant funding. Well, if you go up to 1.1 million, now you're having to pay 32% of 1.1 million. It's a lot more money. So, it, so it, it it comes with a cost. Just kind of kind of managing everybody's expectations too along the way. It's it's not a it's a great idea and it's a great place we're going and we're going to get there. But it's we have to kind of work our way into that pool. And, and part of that is also uh, that. Remember the, the initial startup costs for buses are for electric are going to be obviously much higher, but the cost to maintain theoretically goes down. Obviously, as as we start getting closer to three dollar, maybe even higher gas, those prices are not no are no longer impacting uh, as we're as we're going to electric. Obviously, electric rates are different. So so the total cost over the lifespan of the bus generally tends to be less. And if you notice that. Um, I did send another brochure out with that. So if you look at that March 7th, you'll also find another attachment that has a case study in there as well. So, so, you know, if you look at it from the initial cost, you're absolutely right. But if you look at the total lifespan of the bus and cost of ownership, it actually tends to even out or get less. So I saw Vlad hands were up earlier and then Bruce, um, if you want to go uh, next after Vlad. All right. So, yeah, first of all, yeah, I do appreciate that we need to be good stewards of uh, um, taxpayers' money. But evaluating both electric and natural gas buses at the same time would require double the infrastructure, right? We would have to procure infrastructure to, to charge electric buses 
and we would have, I assume, procured infrastructure to fill up buses with natural gas. So does it, that like from the kind of cost perspective, does it make sense? So Vlad, you need to come work for us, okay? <laughs> um, the, the reality of it is, is we are not going to procure, procure the infrastructure for the compressed natural gas. Um, the plan oh. is to use the coral station that's down off of 606. So we have a plan, right? Okay. We're going to put route, we're going to run those buses on routes that are near the compressed natural gas stop or station. Um, we're working those logistics out now. Um, for the test, if we get through the first year and we like the CNG, then yes, you're exactly right. We're going to have to go find infrastructure. And um, I'm actually trying to set up a meeting right now with uh, Washington Gas um, and and see where they are and their their programs. And if they want to, uh, you know, come in and fund the infrastructure or a good part of it, then we're going to have those discussions too. So. Um, I'm trying to get that done right now as we speak. I, I was trading emails with that gentleman earlier today. Okay, thanks. Thank you. Bruce? Bruce, yeah, my you have a comment? Yeah, my question was, uh, like for Scott, I was probably making uh, uh, same thoughts as Vlad about the cost of the natural, uh, natural gas infrastructure. And if you already had natural gas infrastructure, uh, and it sounded like you did could compress gas. Uh, costs for those buses are probably on par with a diesel bus. Yeah, they're about. I, I want to say they're about sixty thousand dollars more. Not not nearly as bad as the electric bus. Okay. Also, uh, again, maybe it's also like common knowledge. But is there an opportunity to lease them instead of buying them? I haven't seen any programs to allow that to happen. Um, in all of the meetings that we've been in and with all of our, you know, we, we're in regional meetings with all of the jurisdictions around bi-weekly. Um, and we have discussions about clean vehicles and things like that. I've, I've never heard of anybody leasing a compressed natural gas, a clean vehicle for that purpose. So I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, obviously if you're going to lease a bus, they're going to have to make money. You wouldn't have to spend a million bucks, but if somebody's spending a million bucks on it, they're going to want a pretty healthy lease. Right, yes, but again, since we're trying to evaluate, right, and if we pick a technology, it's going to be either electric or natural gas, then we need to get rid of other buses, right, and I don't know how that works. Yeah, I, I don't, you know, I don't know, and, and, you know, I think one of the things of, of operating clean fuel vehicles is there's no rule that says you got to go all electric or all compressed natural gas. We may go a mixture of both, right? We may find out that it's, it's best to run both types of buses because that way you're not really stuck, right? Like, let's say we, if we get all electric buses and all of a sudden something happens with electricity goes through, you know, the prices go up or whatever. We just, you know, I don't know what could possibly happen, but I couldn't predict a pandemic either. 
but at least you have other buses you can operate should something like that go wrong. Um, so it, it's just, you know, right now the tech, we're, we're like, again, we're so far in, you know, we're, we're only getting three and three. Um, you know, worst case scenario, we found out we didn't really care for the CNGs or we didn't care for the, the electric buses because of maybe even the type of bus we bought. I'm sure we could sell them and at least recoup some of our money back. Okay, thank you. It's nice to have a guinea pig always, right? Um, head office. It is. Uh, really speaking is. of which, uh, I know that our public school systems, they have been, um, I think, I'm thinking of, I think it's Dominion uh, that, has, that has given them a few buses to test out electric buses for their fleet. You might be already aware. Yeah, I don't know if they gave them to them, but yeah, I know that they're working with, I think, Dominion. Yeah, I, I thought it was mostly donated to the, for their uh, pilot, I think, but, you know, I might be wrong, but, you know, um, but uh, that's a different conversation. Um, and you said, Scott, the agreements, uh, once the uh, uh, grants are approved uh, by the state, um, when they come to Loudoun, that agreements need to be signed by our board? They're signed by the county administrator. County administrator, okay. Does it go to our board of supervisors at all? Or well, the, the, once the grants are approved, we have to take an item to the board to get authorization to purchase the bus. That is another step in there. Okay, so there will be a governmental procedure involved as well. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. Are there any other questions or comments on this topic? Very be quick. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right. Seeing no other questions or comments, so I think we will revisit this uh, um, sometime in the in the when um, our next meeting um, May. So we will revisit this in July. Uh, mark this topic where we are with the clean energy. May is the next meeting. May is the next meeting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, May is the next meeting, but um, we'll revisit uh, this in our uh, summer meeting in July um, because the funds should have been uh, approved or otherwise by the state, um, and then we should be in the sort of working through the agreements phase most likely. So we'll re revisit this in the summer time frame. Um, this is Mark Farage. I'll, I'll send, um, and again, this is just a point of information or a POI. Um, I'll send a really interesting uh, white paper around um, to the board. Plus, um, Scott, if you guys are interested in it, it's a white paper that was done from Harvard on Hong Kong's bus fleet um, from their diesel, electric, and natural gas um, uh, initiative that started in 2015. And it, it talks specifically kind of about the environmental cleanliness um, costs, unexpected costs, trip falls, etc. Um, I used to live in Hong Kong, so I found it very interesting. So I'll send it around to you guys. But again, just a point of information to get educated on the subject and, and look at what other cities have experienced, particularly from a budget impact and uh, from an environmental impact as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Does that by any chance address 
what they're doing with the batteries when they're done with them? Uh, I believe it touched on it. Um, if, it was like a 67 page paper and I read it about a year, uh, maybe about a year ago. I'll have to, I'll have to refresh it, but I think they did <laughs> no talk about it. Um, it was written in about 2018, 2019 and their electrical vehicle, their electrical vehicle initiative started in 2015. Um, but I think they did touch on the battery disposal as part of it. Thanks. Um, also, uh, one of the major players in this space, right? Pro Proterra, I think. So they have a yeah. program where you buy the bus, but you lease the battery. And this is the kind of part that uh, is most, you know, prone to failures and uh, questions. So I don't know, maybe that's worth considering. Yeah, it is. Thank you, Vlad. It is, certainly is. Uh, one other oddball that might be totally irrelevant in a conversation last week about the gas tax versus uh, electric cars and um, funding transportation improvements. The question came up about the weight of batteries and how they may impact road degradation. Uh, I don't know what the weight of the bus battery is or whether we even want to enter that kind of calculus, but I just throw that out there. Yeah, I, I think it's a valid question, Maggie. I, it's one that I've actually thought of too, um, but I, what I really don't know, again, this will be the kind of test when we get our buses is, I don't know what the weight of six batteries or eight batteries is compared to, you know, um, Hundred gallons of fuel, plus an engine, plus a transmission, plus yeah, yeah. Well, they're all still in there. No, no. You gotta have a transmission. Uh, no, it's, it's it's a reductor. Yeah, you don't know. have a transmission. You got an electric motor. Yeah. Well, but yeah, it doesn't weigh with yeah. a six cylinder. Right. So it might be a trade off, right? Yeah. That's why I said we well, need general, we need to look at it. In general, electric buses typically net out more. How significantly? I'm not sure. But Maggie's right. The question of the impact on road degradation is, is one that's coming up pretty significantly in that in that whole conversation. Okay. Are there any additional comments before we move on to organizational matters? All right. Uh, moving on to item 3A, um, is there an approval of the January 27, 2021 business meeting minutes that TAP um, or Mark put together. Thanks for your work on that, Mark, as well as the agenda here um, and that Sarah sent out to the group. Uh, is there any comments or edits to that meeting? Okay. Um, I have only, um, I have a couple of edits to that. Um, in, in the meeting minutes, the organizational matters, three item 3B three on the meeting schedule, um, it says member Curry moved to approve the meeting dates uh, with meeting times of 6.30 to 8.30 to account for the meetings that generally run late, run late, running late. So I think she also said prior to that that, um, you know, the meetings run longer and there, there are a few longer, uh, larger agenda items. So I just want to um, add it in there to mark, uh, uh, to edit that. Um, 
And item number five, uh, um, it says the next business meeting of the tab is scheduled for 7 p.m., that is today evening. Um, that's supposed to reflect or be 6.30 p.m. Um, today. Um, so those are the two changes that I have um, from the meeting minutes uh, from January meeting. Are there any other edits to the uh, January 27, 2021 meeting minutes? All right, seeing none, is there a motion to approve um, the- I'm to approve. Uh, Maggie okay. moves to approve. Okay. Is there a second? Second. Well, that's here. All right. Thanks, Thanks Maggie. All right, um, we, I do the roll call, right? Um, Brandon is not here. Bruce, uh, is that a yay for the meeting minutes last time? That is a yes. Thank you. C.C. Simpson? Yes. Charles Lyle? Yes. Charles, thank you. Hans is not here. Uh, Jackie, Pio? Yes. Thank you. Um, John Henkel? Yes. Thanks, John. Um, Maggie Parker? Yes. Thank you, Mar Maggie. Mark Farage? This is Mark Farage. I vote yes on the motion is read. Thank you. <laughs> Marty is not here. Um, Ram Venkatsalam, I vote yes. Um, Rushi Shah? This is Rushi, yes. Thank you. Vlad Optimico? Yes. Thanks, Vlad. All right, moving on to item 3B, um, review of TAB bylaws, uh, grammatical edits uh, from the secretary. Mark, uh, do you want to add? I'll give a quick briefing on it. So I've drafted a letter that I'll um, uh, communicate to Sarah to put in the right hands of the Board of Supervisors, basically um, asking them if we can go ahead and make those changes or if they have to actually do it through the Board of Supervisors since the charter is run by the board. So that'll be our next steps. If I, if I could add to that, um, I did talk with our county administration and they, I mentioned that they, you had identified some just grammatical edits that did not change the content or intent of, of the TAB bylaws. They asked to see a copy of those, uh, and then they would determine whether or not it needed to be presented to the Board of Supervisors. Penny, then I will send a copy to you if that works. Yes. I'd suggest sending a red line to them, too. Thanks, Mark. Um, so I'm assuming that doesn't need to be voted on by the tab if it's just uh, grammatical edits. Well, I believe what you all had discussed was that Mark would make up the write-up, the red line revisions mm -hmm. to it, that he would share it with you all. Okay. You all would say, yes, we agree with all these changes. Okay. 
Okay. Then I would take it to the um, county administration and okay. the county uh, attorney. They would determine whether or not it needs to go to the board of supervisors. Gotcha. Okay. Um, Mark, so Mark, uh, if you can send it to a tab membership in addition to Sarah and Scott and Penny and Steve, um, that'll be great. And Rushi just ordered yes. Sorry, no, that's not, I have a question, I'm sorry. Yes, Rishi. Um, so my recommendation, actually it's not a question, I'll take it back, whereas maybe it is, can we do this in parallel where it goes to the tab and to the county administration? Uh, and so that on the May, not sure when exactly in May, but May 17th meeting, whatever, whenever that is, if we, we can, the county administration can come back to us and give, give us a read out as to what we're going to need to do what obviously we need to, as a as a tab to approve it that's for sure but you know does it have to then go to the uh board of supervisors they can give us that sort of guidance but i'd like the um i don't want to have to wait until we vote on it so that then the county administrator gets it does that make sense And I'll just reiterate that, I mean, these are really just grammatical stuff. So perhaps I opened up a can of worms by being a grammar Nazi. Maybe I shouldn't have even looked at it. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, you know, it's, it's good. Uh, it's, I'd it's a public document. It's out on the website. I'd rather it be correct than not. Um, thanks, uh, Mark. So if, if you can send the red line copy that John indicated uh, to all of us, so we'll do those two concurrently, I should say. Uh, review from the tab okay. membership side as well. Thank you. Um, and Steve Burrow, it's all yours. Uh, update on ridership. All right, everybody, just try to hold on to your hats. This is going to get really exciting. No. Um, Ridership is actually ridership is steadily but very slowly increasing. Um, currently, across commuter and metro connection, as they have, they're kind of running in very similar trends. Uh, both of those are ridership has gotten back to levels we saw back in the end of September, beginning of October, which constitutes. Hold on, I find my rather large spreadsheet. Um, in the neighborhood of mid 5% of pre-pandemic ridership levels. So while it's going in the right direction, it is obviously a long way from any place we want it to be. Um, the local buses are a slightly better glimmer of uh, sunshine. They are also back to um, late September, early October ridership levels, but they are right now running in the high 70 to low 80% of pre-pandemic levels. Um, anecdotal, anecdotally, one of the things that we monitor on a daily basis on the local buses is any, at, if at any time the loads on any local buses start reaching their COVID capacity, which is currently 13 passengers on our largest bus. Uh, we have had some occasions of 12 passengers, and I think even a few of being at 13. I think we might have had one turn down where we we weren't able to allow someone to board because the bus was already at uh, 
the COVID capacity limit. Um, so that's, you know, we, we're seeing higher numbers uh, more frequently, but we're still not at the point where I'd say we're busting at the seams. We need to make any big changes. We just need to keep monitoring the situation and, and probably start having a conversation in the near future about uh, what sort of uh, what sort of procedures or what, what, what steps we would take if we start seeing regular overloads uh, at that 13 passenger capacity and whether it's we re-examine the capacity limits or do we start taking operational steps to try and uh, accommodate the excess passengers. It's, a, it's going to be a very wide-ranging uh, set of possible solutions, I would say. Any comments or questions from tab uh, membership? May I, it's Maggie, may I ask one quick question? Go ahead. Am I, uh, what do you see at Dulles Town Center uh, now that, you know, it's basically closed? Um, is the volume still there from connector service or were we serving a lot of the employees there? Um, it's that's obviously has been we kind of colloquially call that a hub just because we have a number of routes that come in and out of there. Um, I don't have any specifics. We haven't done any stop level analysis in a while. Um, well, I don't think we've seen any major changes at this point. Uh, just you know, since we're talking ridership, and, and I'm sorry, just not to get completely off track, but just so you guys know, one of the things that staff is working on is we have all of our local buses are equipped with automatic passenger counters, um, and we are right now working through the system that will gather that data and we'll be able to look at information like that much more easily. There is a, a fairly significant process to set those up, make sure that they're counting correctly, and then also making sure that the business rules that process the data, looking for invalid data and rejecting what it, you know what fails those business rules. Um, we're working through that now. Um, it's it's not a real simple <laughs> uh, turn it on, plug it in, and watch it go. Uh, but I'm we're really hopeful in the next few months we're going to start seeing quality data data from that. Um, that'll probably give us a great deal of insight into the local routes that we're going to really be able to start using more effectively. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. Yeah. Thank you, Steve. Um, I, think had, I think Rushi had a question. Rushi, did you have a question? Yeah, I do. Um, so thank you. The, you know, there is uh, there's discussions at the macro level, at the CDC level of reducing the amount of space required, at least in schools, from six feet to three feet. Uh, it, if um, if that kind of guidance, if and when that kind of guidance is extended to uh, more enclosed spaces like uh, like a bus, uh, would what's the plan or is there a plan to reevaluate the the load uh, lo the load the capacity of these buses? Well, my first answer to that would be if though that kind of revised guidance actually addresses transit vehicles, we would definitely want to apply it. Currently, we're kind of working on our best judgment because nothing in the current executive order directly uh, addresses transit and transit uh, capacity and social distancing. 
other than the uh, usage of face masks. So uh, the numbers that we've come to have really been somewhat our, our judgment and kind of based somewhat on what our peer jurisdictions are doing. Um, so it's not based strictly on six feet um, because quite honestly, a strict six feet, you'd, we'd get about eight people on a motor coach instead of, you know, currently our motor coaches were running 25 passengers. We'd be able to get, I think, when I went out with a tape measure, eight or nine people on that same bus if we maintained a strict six-foot um, social distance. So, um, like I said, if somebody actually provided some some guidance on specific to transit, that would be great. I'm sure we'd be more than happy to make some revisions based upon it. Thank you. Are there any other questions or comments? All right. Um, Benny, do you have any any other comments I'm to not make? on that topic. I do want to bring up the transit summit. Okay. Yeah. No. So Benny wanted to um, talk about transit summit uh, before we, um, I guess, adjourn the meeting. Okay. Uh, just a reminder that May 25th is the transit summit, and usually we would like to include any comments, written comments, from the tab in the package that goes to the board in advance. And just so you have time frames, I don't know when our, the date of our next meeting here is with tab. Uh, May 19th. May 19th. Okay. Well, that might work. Uh, the packet goes out on May 20th. So if we had a draft set of comments you wanted to make on the 19th, the group could finalize them and then we could include in the packet for distribution to the board. And we'll be inviting other groups like um, disabilities and Area, um, aging community to to comment as well, and um, just for your information, on that evening we've invited, have not gotten confirmation, but we've invited the general manager from Wamata, Paul Wiedefeld, to join us for for a brief presentation and question and answers from uh, from the board uh, at that meeting also. So so we strongly invite your your comments to be part of that program. Sure. So I, I will um, um, draft comment and then send it to the tab membership, yep. and then uh, over email. And of course, uh, you know, Luke and Sarah and staff on that. Uh, and then we will, uh, I guess, uh, discuss prayer um, in the emails and as well as finalize it for the next meeting on May 19th, and then uh, uh, add to the packet that you send next day. Yep, that'd be great. Thanks for that. Um, all right. Um, all right. Any other comments or questions before we adjourn the meeting? Uh, yes, I would add that uh, last night the Board of Supervisors did approve the readoption of the continuity of um, government, which allows for these electronic meetings to happen. They've extended the end date for that out six months, which would be until um, September. September, I don't have the exact date uh, for that. But it would uh, allow us to have an electronic meeting for both the May and July meetings. Which you sent out earlier today. Yeah. Um, thank you, Sarah. Um, any other comments uh, from Scott or before we wrap up. Okay. Nope. All right. Um, so the next business meeting for the
tab is being tentatively proposed tentatively proposed for 6.30 p.m. on the evening of Wednesday, May 19th. Uh, the agenda had July 21st. Um, that, that is uh, incorrect. It needs to be May 19th. And at location, TV to be determined at least one week prior to the meeting. And uh, we'll go ahead and set up the public viewing room here in the this location. On, on May 19th. And again, it'll be an electronic. Mm -hmm. Okay. So it will be at this location uh, on May 19th for public viewing, and it will be an electronic way as well. Um, so with that, is that a motion to adjourn the meeting? So moved. Is there a second? Second. All right. All in favor? Aye. 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 <laughs> We don't, we don't need a roll call for that one. <laughs> we, never do that. we just hit the hang button, the red button right there. <laughs> That's Thank you, everyone. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everyone. Yeah. Thanks. Night, everybody. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye. Bye.